Hello, welcome to Mule Mountain Messages, inspiration and exhortation from God's personal letter to us all, the Holy Bible, brought to you from the pulpit of the Community Church of Warren, located at 201 Arizona Street in the Warren District of Historic Bisbee, Arizona. If you're searching for a church home, I would like to personally invite you to come and worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings for prayer and Bible study at 5.30. We would be excited to have you come and join our family. If you have prayer requests or comments on the sermon, you can email us at communitychurchofwarren at gmail.com. Again, communitychurchofwarren at gmail.com. Or you can send us a card or a letter to P.O. Box 4024, Bisbee, Arizona, 85603. Again, P.O. Box 4024, Bisbee, Arizona, 85603. Thank you for listening and blessings to you all. Anybody here ever remember that old TV show, Hee Haw? And they had that song in there about, you know, if I didn't have any luck, if I didn't have bad luck, wouldn't have any luck at all, right? You know, well, this person here, they talked about how they're having uh, poor luck with their jobs, right? They said, you know, first he says, I wasn't suited to be a tailor. Mm. He said he tried the muffler factory. It was just too exhausting. He's, he couldn't cut it as a barber. And he didn't have the patience to be a doctor. He wasn't a good fit in the shoe factory, even though he put his soul into it. The paper shop folded. Pool maintenance was just too draining. He got fired from the cannon factory. And he just couldn't see any future as a historian. All right. So words of wisdom here. Said they spotted this on a church marquee sign. Says, love your enemies. After all, you made them. So anyway. So we are back into our study of Dr. Luke's gospel. And up up until this point, we have been setting the stage for Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. And uh, the story we've looked at so far is talking about the conception and the birth of both Jesus and John the Baptist, right? His, his cousin. And, of course, John the Baptist is given the privilege of announcing the arrival of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Now, both of them were born in a pretty miraculous way. Of course, Jesus, we know, was born of a virgin. You can't really top that. But John was pretty interesting in his, in his uh, birth as well, in that he was born to two elderly people that had been praying for years. Uh, they thought they were beyond childbearing years, and, and yet God blessed them, God, and then to both of them an angel appeared, right? So, I mean, these are some pretty uh, 
pretty miraculous things that happened in the lives of John and Jesus. Now, Luke alternates, if you've noticed, between he'll talk about John and then he'll talk about Jesus. And now he's back to talking about John. And we return to John as an adult and as starting his ministry. And Luke, as always, is very meticulous in setting the stage and setting the time and, and making sure. I mean, really, you can't get any more specific. And he says in verses 1 and 2, he says, In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius Caesar, a message came from God to John, the son of Zacharias, as he was living out in the deserts. Pilate was governor of Judea at the time, Herod over Galilee, his brother Philip over Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius over Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. So anybody that was looking at this would be able to exactly pinpoint the time. So he, he was being specific. He wanted to be specific. Remember, he was writing to his friend in Theophilus, and he's saying, hey, I want you to have the truth and be able to, to know it. And so that's what he's doing. And really what stands out of this list of this verse is a virtual who's who of dictators and despots of the age. And primarily, Tiberius Caesar and Herod. These were absolutely some of the worst people in history. And that's saying some because there's been some bad people in history. Tiberius was an incredibly uh, bloody ruler so bad that uh, he let his exiled wife starve. She, was a, you know, she wasn't much of a great person either. She was exiled. And when her father died, who was kind of protecting her, um, Tiberius said, no, she's on that island. Don't send any food. Don't send anything. And she starved to death. Now, Herod... He was a real jewel. He killed his father-in-law. He killed several of his ten wives. And he killed two of his sons. So it's no surprise that he's the one that also ordered the slaughter of the innocents. When Remember when the wise men came and, and they said, oh, there's a... Uh, the the king the king of the Jews and the and and he's was trying to figure out all this he called his the people in the, the priest in to find out what's the prophecy and where was it and it's like oh in Bethlehem and and so he sent his soldiers there and killed uh, every male child under the age of two which uh, is came to be in the thousands of children that were slaughtered. These were definitely cruel men in wicked times. Yet God chose this time to come to earth. God the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 
God worked even in those evil days. And God will work in our evil days. And we do live in an evil time. But the truth is, everybody, that ever since the fall of man and sin entered the world, they have been evil times. All nations, all tribes, every continent, every place had evil. Evil didn't arrive with the Europeans to this continent. It was here already. There was slavery. There was war. There were uh, the powerful taking advantage of the weak. We've always lived in evil times. And yet God has always worked. And yet when we look at our nation today, we could replace, or our world today, we could pray, replace Herod with maybe Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Or Tiberius could be Xi Jinping of China. Had to practice that a couple of times. Or we could replace him with any of the numerous, nameless, cruel warlords around the world. Or the cartel kingpins. All incredibly cruel and evil people. These cartel people are not Robin Hood. They're making billions by trafficking in people. Trafficking in children. Trafficking in women. They are evil. They're causing harm and death to innocent people. Recently in Ethiopia, there was a civil war. And it was the uh, stated objective of the leader of one side to blockade any aid going into the enemy, the other side, or what he perceived to be the enemy. And so up to 500,000 people starved to death, even though the food was there. But there's evil. There's evil in the world. I spoke several months ago about the war on children. It's still there. It's still going. It's gotten worse. And I could go on and on and on, but I think everyone gets the point. We live in an evil world. There is a young lady that I think if you ever get a chance to hear her testimony, her name is Yanomi Park. She is a young lady who, along with her mother, escaped the horrors of North Korea. They escaped North Korea to go into China only to have her mother be forced into the sex slave industry. Finally, they were able to escape to the United States. And she has some, she sees a lot of parallels with what's going on here to where she just came from. She noted that, well, she said, the fact that there's inequality means there's opportunity. This is from her perspective. 
She noted that equality, that it's equality that is true oppression. She said everyone in North Korea is equally starving. Despite being told the government would provide free food, health care, and education. Nothing from a government with centralized power is free. It costs the population its freedom. And yet we have, in our country, just a side note, a higher education system that seeks to do just that. Deprive the population of its freedom with the promises of equality or equity. Yeah, these are indeed evil times. The good news, though, and there is good news, is that God is still working. God will always work. No man can interrupt the work of God. And no man will interrupt the work of God. Not back then and not now. And as believers, we can hold on to that truth. We have that hope as believers in Jesus Christ. And because we have that hope, we can proclaim that truth and that hope to our generation. We have to be careful not to slack in the work of the gospel because of the times. We can't be intimidated by the times. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11.4. says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We don't look at circumstances. We just obey. We must never despair because of the times. There's a quote here. It says, let us learn never to despair about the cause of God's truth. However black and unfavorable its prospects may appear. At the very time when things seem hopeless, God may be preparing a mighty deliverance. At the very season when Satan's kingdom seems to be triumphing, the little stone cut without hands may be on the point of crushing it to pieces. The darkest hour of the night is often that which just precedes the day. And John didn't certainly, he certainly didn't despair. He set about fulfilling his calling with every fiber of his being. And as usual, God uses someone that you wouldn't expect. I mean, look at John. He wasn't, definitely wasn't a fancy dresser, which is very encouraging to me. And John certainly didn't set a fancy table, did he? Would you have wanted to go eat at John's house? Said, I'll take the honey, but you keep the locust, okay? And really, he traveled, but he didn't go to the people. The people came to him. And they came hungry to hear the truth that he offered. 
says in verse 3, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. He told them the truth of who they were. He was telling them, you guys are sinners. He said, you need to repent and turn away from your sin and turn to God. And it's as true now as it was then. I've always wondered about the baptism of John. Right? Because, you know, we know baptism as this outward expression of your inward faith. And for believers in Jesus Christ, it's an act of obedience because Christ commanded us to be baptized. So what's the deal with this John's baptism? Well, John recognized and knew that many of the Jews of his time, the people of his time, had, to use a modern term, backslidden. Now we have heard and met some of the remnants who hadn't, right? Simeon and Anna and Mary, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But a lot, if not most, of the Jewish people had turned away from their faith. They may have gone through the motions at the temple or synagogue, but they were not living out their faith. They were not walking the walk. And John was saying, repent, turn away from your sin and turn back to God. So what was the baptism all about? Well, in these days, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, one of the things they had to do was to be baptized, baptized into the Jewish faith. That was part of the ritual. And John was telling them, saying that you guys have gotten so far away from your faith that you're like Gentiles. And so the baptism that John was providing was like a new beginning for these people in their faith, in their Jewish faith. They would have to have a heartfelt repentance. They would be baptized and then they would go to the temple to worship, not out of obligation, but out of faith. Remember, it's by faith that we are saved, not by works. We're told that Abraham, as an example, that he believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, the temple and the worship, or the worship in the temple and the sacrifices, all that changed after Jesus died on the cross. Now the faith is in Christ and what he did for us. And our righteousness now is only through Jesus. And I believe John's message was getting the people ready to hear Jesus' message. Preparing the way. That was what his job was. See, the baptism didn't save anyone. It was the faith behind it. And baptism doesn't save anyone now. It is the faith in Christ, our faith in Christ that brings salvation.
So as we kind of wind down, I want to close with this exhortation. Our salvation is all of grace, first to last. But the great fact still remains that saved souls are always penitent souls and that saving faith in Christ and true repentance towards God are never found asunder. This is a mighty truth and one that ought never be forgotten. Do we ourselves repent? This, after all, is the question which most nearly concerns us. Have we been convicted or convinced of sin by the Holy Spirit? Have we fled to Jesus for deliverance from the wrath to come? Do we know anything of a broken and contrite heart and a thorough hatred of sin? Do we hate sin? both in our lives and around us? Can we say, I repent, as well as I believe? If not, let us not delude our minds with the idea that our sins are forgiven. For it is written, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Hard words, but true. Our salvation is grace. But once we've experienced that grace, we need to turn from the sin and turn to God and and fulfill the purpose that God has for us. We don't have that much time left. I don't know when God's coming back. I don't know when Christ is coming back. But one thing I know, I don't have his, he's coming And I know that I don't have as much time ahead of me as I have behind me. And so we need to act with a sense of urgency. There are people out there that are lost, that need to hear. And if we don't tell them, who will? Well, I pray that this week you you think about that. And this week that you examine your lives. And if there is something that needs to be repented of, repent, turn to God. Enter into that fullness that God wants to give you and fulfill his purpose in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so grateful for your grace. I am so grateful for your forgiveness, Lord God. Father, I am so grateful that when we repent, your forgiveness is instantaneous. And as we say often that it's as far as the east is from the west. That Father, I pray that you help me and all of us remember that you have a purpose for us. You have a job for us to do, Lord God. And Father, part of that is to love those around us, even those that are unlovable, so that they too can enter into your kingdom, at least have that opportunity to. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to grow in you. Help us, Lord God, to make that decision to live for you. 
Father, we can't walk on a fence. We're either on one side or the other. And Father, I know that there is great joy on your side of the fence. And I know there is great sorrow and tribulation on the world side of the fence. So Father, I pray, help us to feel your presence. Help us to be on your side of the fence. Help us, Lord God, to share you with those who need to hear. And Father, help us to just love those you put in our lives. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.